Welcome to Voices Amped. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ellie Clark. And I'm Vanessa Becker-Weig, and we are your hosts. Voices Amped is a place for us to share space and lift the voices of artists, activists, community leaders, and organizers, all of whom have inspired us and our work. For any Ampers who aren't familiar with our work, we are Voices Amplified, formerly known as The Girl Project. You can learn more about our arts advocacy work or support us by going to VoicesAmplified.net. If you want to put a face to a name, watch our interviews on YouTube by searching and subscribing to Voices Amplified. Thanks for listening. And remember, be curious, be courageous, take up space, and make some noise. This week, we would like to thank the Seeds for Success donors at $40 or more annually. That is Emily France, Rena Childers, Leslie Scott, Lauren Hill, Dylan Baker, Jennifer Parr, Carmen Keels, and Lexi McCourt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This week on Voices Amped, we talked to the one and only Jen Joplin. Jen Joplin is an artist out of Ohio, and we talk about her upcoming one-woman show, The Prime of Miss Jen Joplin, premiering June 4th at the 2021 Cincy Fringe Festival, her 30-year career as an artist, the church she bought to transform into a creative community right before a pandemic hit the world, and how she navigates being an artist, a mother, and a wife, and has now written her third one-woman show. You can buy tickets to the prime of Miss Jen Joplin at cincyfringe.com. That's C-I-N-C-Y-F-R-I-N-G-E dot com or call 513-300-5669. The Cincy Fringe Festival runs June 4th through June 19th. Enjoy our interview with Jen Joplin. Welcome and thanks for listening. This is Voices Amped. I'm Ellie Clark. And I'm Vanessa Becker-Weig, and we are your hosts. So our guest today is Jen Joplin. Miss, Mrs. Jennifer Hello, Joplin. thank you for having me. Um, I'm going to embarrassingly read your bio, and you have to sit and listen and bask in the glory of your bio for our guests. So our guest today, Jen Joplin, has had a 30-year career as a professional actor, voiceover artist, writer, director, coach, and teacher. Wow. Um, New York, Chicago, St. Louis, Cleveland, and for the last decade, the Cincinnati region have provided her with the space to create both art and family. How do you make the time? She is a graduate of Wright State's professional actor training program, where she is frequently an adjunct professor. Some of her favorite productions are The Feast and The Man Beast at No Theater, The Humans, Outside Mullinger, and Rapture Blister Burn at Ensemble Theater Cincinnati, Macbeth and Antony and Cleopatra at Cincinnati Shakespeare, and God of Carnage, Proof, and Angels in America at the Human Race Theater, and Mrs. Hubbard in Murder on the Orient Express at Indiana Repertory Theater, or IRT. 
Dang. So Wright State, which we will ask you about, was the first to put your writing skills to the test. And now Jen has produced three one-woman shows, including this season's Cincinnati Fringe Festival world premiere of her show, The Prime of Miss Jen Joplin. And... I can't say most interestingly, but most wild. Jen bought a church right before the COVID lockdown with her husband, Jason, and their son, Max, which has proven to be a great playing space for three virtual theater productions thus far. And her hopes for the church are to turn her sanctuary and event space into a place for artists and community to celebrate and create together in the years to come once we are all vaccinated <laughs> or whatever, whatever you do. Um, geez, so many questions about all that, but a church, can we just start with the church? Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah. So my dear friend, Beckham Wicks and I, uh, we are like, we are life partners outside of marriage, you know, platonic forever buddies. Um, we have always been looking for a space that answers all of our whims. You know, it's a place to create. It's a place where we can work. It's a place where people can gather. Um, and she found this church and we all thought we're never going to get another chance like this again. It's got a stage of its own, like in the event space and catering sized kitchen. And my husband is a wonderful photographer. And so it's a place where not only is he taking the photos, but you could get married there. Your photographer is already there, you know, just all of this wild stuff. Right. And it just sounded like, oh my God, this is how we put everything we've been doing in our lives together in one place. Um, and then the pandemic hit and we were like, oh no, we can't do theater. We can't do events. We can't do weddings. We <laughs> so we are just now starting to look around this beautiful space and see it as the endless possibilities that we first saw it as. Um, because for over a year now, we're like, oh no, what did we do? Because <laughs> you don't just buy a church to live in a church. You know, you've got to have some sort of plan. So yeah, and that's a good um, note for our listeners. Yeah, we're, we're excited to dive back in. And yeah, they didn't just buy the church as an event space. They're living in the church as well. Yeah. <laughs> The three of us, um, my brother and my sister-in-law, and um, actually during this last school year, we had my nephew, Benny, join us as well because I homeschooled my 13-year-old son. And we figured if you're homeschooling one 13-year-old boy, why not do two? <laughs> I don't know. What, what will I think of next? <laughs> it's so exciting. I think it's very inspirational and I can't imagine the fear of a pandemic hitting right after you purchase a church. Yeah. Um, but I had a space where I could ask the heavens repeatedly, what, you, what do you expect of me now? <laughs> you had the sanctuary. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so we, you are developing currently the prime of Miss Jen Joplin for the Cincinnati Fringe Festival. When does that happen? We are actually uploading it right now Ooh. for the Fringe Festival to go ahead and get it in their lineup, their prime 
primary lineup. Um, and opening night is June 4th. Um, and they are doing an amazing um, hybrid this year of live productions in spaces where people can be socially distant still, um, and also live stream productions um, where it is live theater. You're just not there in the room. You're watching it um, on the screen. Um, and then what I decided to go with is video on demand. So um, mine is one of the many offerings that you can just buy a ticket and decide when, when you're going to the theater uh, to see my show. So, so smart. And you are talking about, we'll talk about this show a little bit further, but you know, you say three one woman shows, what are these other shows that you've developed and why, how did this one come about? Yeah. Um, the very first one, and I know we'll talk more about Wright State. Woohoo, Raiders. Um, and uh, that was the very first one. Um, and that was a show about Alzheimer's um, because that's something actually that my family has had to deal with. And some of the best advice I ever got on writing in general um, is write what you know, write a story that um, you feel hasn't been told. Um, and so I started with that show called Blank um, about a spouse dealing with the aftermath of having to say goodbye to somebody that they lost to Alzheimer's. Um, so, you know, a nice comedy, nice lighthearted comedy. <laughs> Was that when your senior thesis show? Was that yeah. the one you did for your, your one-person show at school? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. With uh, Lisa Roth and Laura Wilson were my OPS partners. We all went together. Um, and that was that was to this day of great joy. Velociraptors forever. Um, they'll get that. Um, and then two years ago, I did uh, The MILF Also Rises, which is a spoof on The Sun Also Rises. Um, that, that classic, just like what I'm sure all of my shows will be. Um, but strangely enough, it was, it came out of a dare. Someone else I knew um, was having a difficult time um, and fearful that maybe their career was kind of going down the tubes a bit. Um, and I was like, well, then write your own stuff. You know, you, I know you can do it. I was like, in fact, I dare you. Let's both get something ready for Cincy Fringe. Come on, let's do it. And I don't think that I would have gotten back into that arena of putting myself, um, you know, front and center, telling my own story um, if I hadn't dared someone else to do it as well. Um, and I'm so glad I did. It was, it was exactly what I needed to do at that time in my life because I was dealing with a lot of things that a woman in her 40s is dealing with and trying to balance my insecurities from childhood and teenage years and early 20s into finding my power and realizing that those things don't always mix very well together. And you're gonna have to set some things free if you are able to move forward in your own personal growth. Um, so it was, it was very political, but it was also very personal as well. And then this one just came out of the fact that the, the pandemic found me in a blue collar world um, suddenly because no theater. Um, I, I went from overly employed to zero employment, like overnight. 
And um, I just dealt with a great deal of uh, additional loss, realizing that the space I was working in uh, lacked humanity and lacked empathy and lacked human connection. And so for an artist to suddenly go from your whole life is about connection um, to just feeling like you can't even be seen. Um, I started making up songs at three o'clock in the morning while I was working this job and then realized, you know what, I think I've got a show here. <laughs> and it's twofold, right? Because you had the disconnect from the pandemic and which launched you into this job, which then had a further disconnect of leadership perhaps. Yeah. Um, and just really, um, boy, it, this experience made me value past um, moments in my career where I have dealt with, whether it's directors or artistic directors um, or um, colleagues, you know, the idea that we all will do a better job, we will create what we are capable of creating if we work together, um, as opposed to it's fine, whatever, and just clock in, clock out, and the least, um, people bringing the least to their that their expectations every day, as opposed to bringing your best. Mm. And that's, I, I just can't live with that, that it kills my soul. So yeah, it was just very interesting to see how um, a very successful company um, has decided that it's okay to not, to not find that support um, for their workers and within their day-to-day -day activities. Wow. Yeah. So you started singing these songs to bring yourself joy, which I love, uh, and which you can hear if you get the prime of Miss Jen Joplin on demand through the Cincinnati Fringe. But it leads me into the question of what is the journey of writing a one-person show for you? Sure, I'm sure the songs like launched you into the possibilities and ideas, but then I feel like so many people have ideas and they're like, I don't know how to put pen to paper and make it happen. So what, what is your in when you're starting to put the idea on paper and develop? Um, I kind of, you know, there's this traditional um, idea of writing down ideas on, on napkins, you know, back of receipts and stuff. Um, I kind of do that in just in the back of my mind. And then I will have these moments where I, I will call them my musings and I just throw it all up and type it all out and it doesn't have any real order to it um, or any um, formatting or editing. Um, it's just letting those thoughts build and build and build the idea of filling the creative well um, so that you can dip into that well and see what's, what's gonna work and, and what's not gonna work. Um, with this process, I, I literally was recording these songs on my phone um, on my 20 minute breaks during shifts because I knew by the time I got home, I would have forgotten this song, you know? No amount of singing it over to yourself over and over again, uh, working at three o'clock in the morning, you forget your own name, you know, by the time you get home, it's just your humans aren't supposed to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I would record these songs and then I would get home and I would sing them for my husband 
Um, I'd be like, okay, Jason, I've got another, I've got another song from today. And poor guy, he had not even had his first cup of coffee. And here I am singing these wild songs about, you know, working in a warehouse. Um, but when I finally knew it was time to put the pieces together, um, I find that it's really helpful for me to literally have my character, me, tell you what this show is or is not. Almost like laying the groundwork. Um, MILF Also Rises started with me telling you exactly what you are in for. <laughs> so that I almost gave myself a roadmap, you know, mm. of where to go next with this tale. Um, and with this one, I start with what this is not. <laughs> <laughs> And then go from there. Um, and, and then the, the songs themselves really helped me um, follow the track of what was important um, for, for the audience to know about the experience I just had. Mm. Is it mostly music or is there a lot of dialogue in between or yeah, a lot of monologue? There's a lot of dialogue in between. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I really touch on, um, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. I've got a kid. I'm an actor. I've had long commutes. I talk to myself like a pro, <laughs> you know, so it only makes sense that I would be writing one woman shows. I do them all the time, whether I mean to or not. Um, but I say in the show that this time of, of wearing masks was actually a strange gift for someone who talks to herself because I had whole conversations at work, you know? I'd, I'd be talking to people the whole time. They didn't know I was talking to them, but I was having a ball, you know? <laughs> um, so it's a lot of uh, the dialogue in between songs it's really kind of the, that I was making to myself under my breath at work all the time. <laughs> this really makes me want to see it. I can't wait. <laughs> I make no bones about it that I, I may have lost my mind um, on this job. I'm, I'm slowly trying to reclaim it, but uh, yeah. It's, if it's, it's, if it's on demand, like, are you filming it in your sanctuary, in your space, in as though it's a recorded theatrical performance, or is it more intimate like film TV? So it is, we used the sanctuary space and we tried to uh, recreate it as closely as possible to kind of a factory floor, you know? So it looks like I am at work and I'm wearing exactly what I would have been wearing at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And I basically am on a shift while I'm talking to you, the audience, or you, my own brain, or I don't, you know, it's like, who was I ever talking to? Who was I singing this for? So um, it's a little bit for everyone and it's a lot bit for me, um, this, this whole tale that I, I tell while I'm on a complete shift. Even though the show itself is 60 minutes, um, it, it has the sense of beginning, uh, beginning of the shift to the end of the shift. Mm. Um, even with that sense of, oh my God, how much longer, you know? Um, <laughs> which was a huge part of, of a five hour shift from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. <laughs> it's like the show 24, that's so exciting. <laughs> yes, totally, it's my own 24. Very few murders, which is good, you know, that nobody dies. <laughs> 
So I know, you know, we've shared a little bit with our um, education in Wright State's professional mm -hmm. actor training program that, you know, obviously the, the one person show and that writing component I, I would say I have not taken quite to that, but you <laughs> certainly have. And what, so what other um, gifts or what were some of the greatest strengths of the training from Wright State that you take with you? Um, I think overall, it was such a well-rounded, um, when you and I were there, it, there was not a delineation and I understand why they've made this change, but there was not a delineation between acting majors and musical theater majors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I found myself constantly out of my comfort zone. If, if I even had one between the ages of 18 to 21, I don't yeah. think I did have a comfort zone. I, everything was uncomfortable at that point, but um, I was forced to sing, even though I never considered myself a singer, especially once I heard some of these voices that were my peers around me, you know? And it did force me to do things like stage combat, even though I don't consider myself some amazing physical actor, you know? Um, it forced me to write for the one person show requirement for our senior thesis. Um, but I think one of the things that I took away was the connection between acting and energy. Um, that is something that I, I have only expanded on in these 30 decades since then. Um, and it started with the idea of Laban uh, with the amazing Bruce Cromer. Um, and just the idea that each, you can change your energy. Um, it has a weight, it has a pace to it, it has an intent to it. And you can lighten it up or you can make it heavy and indirect and very direct and you know fast, slow. But again, I ran with something that really rang true to me. I've used that in acting, especially to make quick, bold choices, um, to just pick a Laban energy and run with it. Um, but I've also realized that it's not just a physical tool. Um, I have since then applied the idea of different energies to singing, speaking, but also the sense of an emotional energy. Um, so much of what you do on stage has to do with connection and you can feel someone lightly loving you from across this, you know, from across the stage, as opposed to intently wanting you dead without any movement or words, you know, you've got to be able to feel the difference in that energy in a live theater standpoint. And so I really appreciate that right state always connected energy and action uh, for me. And I, it, that's as important as a person as it is for uh, an artist, um, a theater artist, for sure. Well, it's so fascinating because, and Ellie will attest to this, that, I mean, my my teaching style is 100% exactly what you're talking about. And it's so fascinating to me that that was the biggest, for both of us, the biggest takeaway. Thank you, Bruce Cromer and Mark Olson. <laughs> and Mark Olson, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Well, Vanessa, you say, you know, writing a one person show is not something you did. I think what brought us together is developing material through movement, which is is in itself devising work, creating work. So I would argue that you do maybe not putting the words there, but you're like, let me put the movement behind it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think they're both 
so unique. And I know Jenna Hoban came from Wright State. I mean, Wright State is producing these people who write one woman shows or one person shows. I'm like, who are, who is this school? Let's send people there. Wright State. Yes. Um, so a 30 year career in the arts is clearly nothing to, um, scoff at. And it amazes me. I think it's informative and I don't want to put words before I ask you the essential question. Um, <laughs> have you really made a living from the arts? But I think it's such a good example that you don't have to be in Manhattan. You don't have to be in uh, Los Angeles to um, financially navigate life in the arts. So I wonder, you know, reading your bio, looking at your body of work, knowing that you have a family, um, what how have you navigated life as an artist and now how have you sustained as an artist without the burnout of these jobs that are required to pay the bills while being a full-time artist, you know, managing both and not burning out and managing to have a family and continue the work? Easy question. I know. Right. Yeah. And so the answer is yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer is um, genuinely, and it's taken years to understand this, but not only is my definition of success different than someone else's, but my definition of success has had to adapt to what life throws my way. Um, and it's, it can be very hard when you, when you have to have that day job to sustain the life you've chosen in addition to the career you've chosen, um, you, you find, um, it's like Jenga, you know, or Tetris. Uh, I, Tetris is one of my favorite things. It's in the show too, but um, you have to find where things fit together so that they feed each other as opposed to taking away from each other. Um, and you also have to forgive yourself and whatever point you are in your career, if you still need that day job, or if this year was a little lean, you know, creatively, um, you, and you have to forgive the rest of the world when they make assumptions, given some of the choices you have to make along the way. Um, I had somebody years ago, this is easily like a, a almost a decade ago now, uh, my son's 13, so he was very young, and, and I was a young mom, and a much younger actress, she um, she said, oh my God, I just think it's so brave that you gave up acting for, you know, to have a kid. And I thought, I didn't give up acting. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm piecing it back together, man. Just because I'm not doing this um, solely as my income right now doesn't mean that I'm not a professional actor. It doesn't mean that this isn't my absolute passion. Um, and I have to, I've had to continually forgive myself that I'm not somebody else's career. I won't be, I won't be someone else's career. I've picked this region. I've picked also having a family. I've picked any number of things that mean my definition of success is going to be my definition of success. Um, and that is a forever changing um, process, both the forgiveness and the defining. <laughs> Yeah, those moments in our lives. I don't know if you've had that, Vanessa, but I I took on education director of a theater once and I got interviewed by the local newspaper. And the question was, 
well, you know, you're teaching actors to go out and pursue this thing, but you clearly didn't succeed at it. So how are you teaching these other people? I remember that question. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I was kind of like, well, I might punch oh. you. <laughs> Because, you know, teaching art isn't, it was just a, you know, it's one of those jaw dropping moments where um, it's just one of those jaw dropping moments. Have you, you, have you had those, Vanessa? I know that Jen's kind of talking about this assumption about your life because you had a child or because you've chosen to teach. Yes. I mean, I, I, I think I, the vast majority of my life has been you know, and I don't want to say explaining that, but just what, what you're talking about, Jen, just um, identifying, well, this is what I want. Like, these are the things that I personally want in my career. And I don't, you know, I appreciate other people's choices and, you know, but this is what, you know, I want. Sometimes what I want changes <laughs> and sometimes I have to just adapt, you know, but, um, oh yes, Ellie, I've definitely experienced that possibly from the same interviewer. (laughs) (laughs) Same circles. Um, Fascinating. And it, it it leads me to, you know, I, I would claim that all artists to some degree are reflecting back on a society with some sort of, some sort of question that is asking people to raise the bar, like what you're talking about, Jen, with don't set low expectations for going to work. And I'm not going to put the words in your mouth that you're an activist, but do you, when you're writing these pieces, use your art? How do you use your art to talk back to the world and, and make sure that they're asking the question? I mean, you literally said you're setting up at the beginning of the show. Here's what you are going to learn, or here's what I'm not doing today. So it's crystal clear, but do you feel like you're really using your art, uh, particularly as you mature as an artist, to ask the questions that you think are essential as we move forward? Um, I don't even think it's asking questions anymore. Now I'm at the point, and this is almost like I've opened Pandora's box. I'm making I'm making demands um, because as you get older, you realize what is important important, what to make space for, and what is not important. And then when you see the world, um, people who know better, especially, um, who could be making a difference, not taking that role, not taking the reins, not taking that leadership role, not helping to make this world a place where we are all heard, all welcome, all healthy, all, you know, there's just no excuse anymore. We're connected. I mean, look what we're doing right now. We're not physically near each other. And yet we are having this beautiful opportunity of connection. Uh, We can do this globally. We can do this across the board now. And so when people do not bring a sense of humanity and reaching as high as you can on behalf of of humanity, I've just lost it. I, I cannot I cannot abide it anymore. <laughs> so I, I do think um, the first, well, the, the second uh, one woman show, The Milk Also Rises, I had protest signs as my backdrop. 
um, as the show progressed, I would bring out another protest sign because I had been actively marching um, since 2016. And I continue to this day to, to march locally um, whenever I can. Um, whenever it bubbles up to a point where I can't take it anymore and I need to yell outside with other people yelling the same thing. Yeah, um, but it, it is definitely a response to feeling like voices are not being heard. Um, and certain uh, people in this, in this life journey that we're having uh, are not being seen and their problems are not being addressed. Um, and that can be to, you know, sometimes on a very uh, basic level, you know, it's still the fact that all three of us would not get paid in theory as much as three gentlemen doing a podcast. Um, that's just, what year is this? Stop, you know? Uh, there's the very basic things that I feel like we've just, we've gone too far um, as, as a species, as a civilization to allow these things to continue. And then there are some very, um, very glaring atrocities um, that you're like, are, are, are you here that you can allow this to continue? Um, so, oh yeah, I'm definitely bringing some demands, no longer questions, some demands at this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. Good. Um, so with those demands or with your writing, you don't have to share your deepest fear, but I will say if you have a fear or if you are willing to share your fear, how do you address that or confront that in your work when you are challenging yourself as an artist? Oh, that is good. Um, do you mean my like fear societally, you know, or my, my fear? Well, I know? think, I think I am getting at more of the thematic chord, like mm -hmm. what the work that calls to you for you to address this thing that you can't ignore inside of you. Um, and how do you mm -hmm. bring yourself to putting yourself up against it or inviting it in over and over? Um, my fear is that both, well, and this answers that both on a personal level and a societal level, you know, 25 years ago, I didn't think my voice was worth fighting for. My story was worth telling. Um, my my dreams were worth um, chasing after. Um, and I think it's very easy for humans in general to feel like, but who am I, you know? Why, why do I have the, how, why am I special? You know, that, that I should be a part of uh, the very best that we're capable of. Um, and, I hold myself to that and I constantly fear that I'm letting myself down, um, that I am not living up to everything that I'm capable of. Um, and I know society's not, and I don't want us to be an insecure late teens Jen Joplin as a society. I want us to be an almost 50 year old Jen Joplin as a society admitting 
I've made mistakes, admitting I've got a long way to go, admitting that we still have insecurities, but we're going to push past them. And it's okay if we're not perfect right this very second. It is the whole idea of continuing to move forward and to do it from a place of, of empathy and from a place of we are in this together. That's, that's what makes it worth it. We're not going to solve it all. Certainly not um, in, in my lifetime. Um, but we've got to be able to see that progress that we are making both personally and um, as a civilization, for sure. So that would be my fear is that we stop because it's hard or we're scared um, or we're not perfect yet. We won't be. That can't stop us. Yeah. Or that we think, well, we are too old or I'm past. I should have been here already. So right. I might as well give up now when you're only at the halfway point or mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty. I'm amazing. going for 106. So <laughs> you got a little ways. Yeah. <laughs> I think I heard the other day that in the future, we're going to be living to 115. I was like, do I want to live that I much would, longer? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, 106 is good for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you, so part of your work as an artist has been teaching um, at Wright State. You're an adjunct professor there. Sometimes, do you teach other places as well? Um, I got to teach at Miami University um, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago as well uh, with arts engagement, and so that was not teaching acting. It rather it was teaching non-acting majors um, how important the arts are in driving other messages forward. Um, which I think is long overdue, you know, tell it, don't sell it. That's what the world, the corporate world has, has zoomed in on finally, is that we, you better tell us a good story if you want to sell us what it is you've got. Um, And I think that the arts, we've always understood the importance of telling a good story. If you want that moral to, to get across. If you want people to walk away with a certain feeling or a certain discussion that they're having afterwards, it's all about telling the story. Um, I, I think that that's worth teaching inside art classes and outside art classes uh, in a very big way. But yeah, I, I got to teach at Wright State this fall. Um, I taught Zoom acting. It wasn't supposed to be teaching Zoom acting, but we were all in lockdown and so it was a sophomore acting class and the 10 hi the 10 um but it it really actually blew my mind how powerful the connection and the work was that we did yes um and it was because we all need connection we will find it one way or another And I think that these 10 students, um, I'm hoping that this experience of having to find connection in such a disconnected way, once they hit the stage again with each other with masks off and full body and full intimacy of all kinds, you know, oh man, nothing is gonna stop these students because they, they had to try and do this with the brakes on the whole time. Mm. And once they get to put their feet, you know, their foot on the accelerator, they are just going to like zoom out of here. No pun intended, but um, <laughs> it was, it was fascinating to try and do this kind of work in this format. And it, it did my heart 
a great deal of good playing with them um, because I was in the middle of a great deal of heartbreak having lost artistic opportunities to the to the pandemic. Um, they they really kind of saved my my art life <laughs> in a way. They they brought me back a great deal of hope. So I'll I'll be forever grateful for that experience. And I would say that while I'm not convinced or may never be that Zoom theater is a viable uh, alternative to being in real time and space together, I I do love the fact that artists have forged ahead to say we will keep creating. And I will second that with with no faith, well, I had some faith because I was desperate, but with very little faith that acting would actually work on Zoom, I think I've been more floored and more creative in seeing the successes and the opportunity for accessibility that's happened because of Zoom rather than the opposite, right? Um, people collaborating from all over that we couldn't afford in the arts, but we have a Zoom room. It's fascinating. Yeah. Adaptation is the name of the game. Um, and it always has been for, um, for artists. And that, you know, that previously really came from a, a place of being underfunded, um, you know, being not, not getting the support in many ways that sometimes you need to move forward in your art. Um, and this was a great lesson in nothing is going to stop us from creating. We will find a way. Some of those things might come forward with us um, when, as we get to come back into the theaters. Um, I think we've got a much better appreciation for multimedia mm. and the fact that we can find this connection, uh, even if it's not live right in front of each other. Um, but man, I miss sh the shared breath of a live audience. Um, and that was, that was a very heartbreaking thing. The fact that the very thing that makes live theater so exciting that we're sharing our we're sharing breath, we're sharing this energy. And that was what was so dangerous in those moments of the pandemic um, was we literally could not <laughs> share our breath with each other. Um, this, this has been an incredible lesson. I can't wait for about 10 years from now when we can look back and, and really have a broader sense of the lessons learned. Um, that should be exciting too. And I think it's really interesting what it's done for our young artists, a huge focus. I think we're all in a similar age group, the three of us, close enough. Um, a huge part of our education was, will you be able to make money? Will you be able to sustain? If you can do anything else, do it. And I feel like what I'm seeing with Voices Amplified, the students you're talking about, like use art to put a message out there, push a message forward. And theaters using monetization monetization as an excuse, like I can't say that because I'll lose my sponsors or I can't say Black Lives Matter because some of our audience is conservative or I can't make these standards in my studio because I'll lose money rather than this is the purpose of art, you know, and this is our responsibility. It's just really interesting. And I think this younger generation is going to be much more hyper attenuated to that because of this experience. Absolutely. Um, and, and that is a gift, I believe. Um, 
we we got some gifts out of these last you know 12 to 15 months however long this has been um but that's one of them is that the old guard as it were um has been forced to catch up with the younger generation and how they are finding ways to connect and to get their messages forward we had to we had to go to night school real quick and pick up <laughs> on some of these tactics you know and what an eye opener you know that's it doesn't have to be how it always was. Come on, you know, there is, there are no limits if you acknowledge there are no limits, <laughs> truly. And there will always be hoops that we have to jump through, but I think that this has really opened up a lot of possibilities for uh, the arts across the board. But yeah, this, this next generation, do it do whatever it is. And I, if I may really quick touch back on something we were talking about, because the monetization, the idea that, oh, I, you know, my career is not my career. If, if I'm not making it, you know, all my money from this, all those things tie into something that I've really come to appreciate, which is Vanessa, you and I both, we have a lot of classmates that they're not on Broadway. They're not they're not even choosing to do this as a career anymore, but what they learned from spending this much time with exploring the arts and exploring what it means to be human and what it means to connect with other humans, they have carried this forward into different careers, which have made them at the top of their now chosen careers. Mm -hmm. um, and they are literally healing people. They are changing corporations from the inside out. You know, they are doing things with the exact same lessons you and I got um, uh, about energy and ritual and, uh, and knowing how to read a room and tell a story and you know things along those lines. Uh, even if you choose to step away from the original art that you were pursuing, uh, that art does not leave you. You bring that into everything you do um, in, in your future. Um, and I think that that's really important to, to give credit to that kind of training and how it creates successful humans and successful lives, um, even outside um, what they thought they were gonna do originally. That's, that's not a loss, it's a win if you hold on to these lessons, you know? Absolutely. And I've been, I've been working a bit with the students uh, recently, just really kind of honing in on that because I've noticed with a lot of late high school or early college students and being around my son and his friends just when the pandemic hit it was just like they're all these theater people deer in the headlights what are we going to do we've got to change everything we're not going to be able to survive we you know we've got to change course and you know so i've been talking a lot about okay you know artists are resilient and the corporate world is going to need artists to move forward, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So how can you take this that you love and what can you use it for and how can you use it? And, um, you know, just instilling in them how important it is no matter what they end up doing. Yeah, I, I think that is huge. I, I joke about this, but I'm, I'm also not joking that, um, the kind of training we received, it taught me how to be a person. Mm -hmm. um, and because you're trying to pretend to be another person, you have to understand what it means to be a person. 
um, to, to put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know, and to play that role. And while it seems very simplistic to say, you know, I learned how to be a person, you do go through your life and you meet people out in the world without that kind of training. And they literally were never trained how to be a person. <laughs> they, they were not given the skills of just how simple it can be to turn the energy around in a moment, you know. Uh, whether it's a sales moment or a personal family moment, um, they don't, they weren't given those, those tools. And, and that's where the coaching comes in. Corporate coaching, I love going into companies and it blows their minds sometimes. The very simple things that it's, it's freshman year acting stuff, but it is understanding the importance of, of connection. You know, that's, that's it. It's, um, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to see people see the value in that um, and to bring it back to their own lives and succeed using those tools, those amazing, fun acting tools, you know? Yeah. And we've, we've, <laughs> we've been into banks, just invited into like, oh, we're sponsoring you. Will you just come in and play a few games with our employees in the, the level of self-consciousness and inability to play Yes. In corporate America, it just shows that we have not put enough focus on the power of imagination and pivoting. And I think that's what you're all talking about, right? Like artists know how to go into a space and pivot and be creative and think imaginatively, but we, we underestimate the power of those things. And it's so sad to go in and be like, our high schoolers play this game with stakes. Like this is the end of the world. And, and corporate America's hesitant to even play they're like oh you want me to do what and you're like play just play yeah <laughs> yeah problem solving is what we do in the arts you know again that um, you know that need to be adaptive to your situation right but problem solving the word problem that's a sticking point you know it doesn't mean that it's this doesn't have to be a bad solution process Let's play our way through finding a solution to this problem. And we will all come out better for it on the end and not hate each other. <laughs> yeah. And it's totally our job in acting, right? We're looking for the problem because we know that's the opportunity. <laughs> right. We oh, absolutely on stage. We're absolutely. like, Ooh, I love the problem. Cause that's when I get to like move into action. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And Anne Bogart definitely has a quote that I've carried with me. Um, your growth as an artist is not separate from your growth as a human being. And knowing that you can't separate the two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that that's where, um, that's where people, artists can get into trouble a lot. You know, you, you need to make sure that your, your personal um, role and your personal show, uh, that that is getting the rehearsal time and the attention and the applause that it deserves. Mm. Everything that happens off stage has the opportunity to fuel what you bring on stage and vice versa. And if they are at odds, both will suffer, you know? Yes. So how have you navigated self-care? I mean, I guess your show did that, but how have you, the pandemic was obviously difficult and you're in a huge church and you're going back to blue collar work and, um, how, how did you navigate? How did you take care of yourself? Was it the writing of the show? What did you do for your family? 
personally? Oh, family. Thank God for family, truly. Uh, thank God for family. Thank God for um, very near and dear friends. Um, that, that was my saving grace. I now have some weekly things, you know, I've got weekly calls with a group of, of women in my, in my life, um, because we needed to even, and we frequently told each other this, we're like, I don't even want to talk today because what am I going to say? Everything still sucks. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. I hate all of it. But just talking and connecting, that that was my saving grace. My my son, um, my husband, my nephew, um, getting a chance to, um, to work with them at a seventh grade level, uh, that was really freaking hard. <laughs> um, and shout out to every teacher in the whole wide world, you're amazing. Um, <laughs> I do not want to suggest for a second that I did this well, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun with it, you know, and, and I relearn some lessons from some seventh grade lessons that I was like, whoa, man, like I forgot like how cool physics and geometry and like, it's not just math. It's like how the world works. And I had a ball kind of relearning some things in this downtime um, that, that was a saving grace. Cooking, creating on new levels, you know, um, creating together as a family. Uh, that was a saving grace. But I will be 100% honest that it was hard to care for myself um, because I was just, this has been a very scary time, a very scary time. Um, and while self-care is extremely important, I know that if I don't know how to give it, if I don't know how to, to turn it on myself and give that love, I do know how to give it to others. And that is one of the things that, um, so one of the other coaching things that I do is I do bystander training. Um, and I've done it for grade school through corporate, you know, and one of the things that I impress upon people is the importance of health. Uh, for humans, it's it has been proven that our brains send out you know all of these good feels when we help someone. We feel good when we're able to help when there's something we can do about a situation, and yet somehow or another we've gotten in our heads that we should not ask for help and we shouldn't accept help when that's the very thing that would make other people feel good. You know what I mean? And so when I have trouble giving myself the love that I need, it feels good to turn it around and give it to someone else. And ultimately I am giving myself what I need in that moment because I got all the feels going on because I'm helping. Um, but that's something I, I need to remind myself of a lot is to ask for it when I need it um, and to accept it when it's offered uh, because then I get that joy of seeing someone else's face go, oh, thank God, I know what to do for you now, you know? Yeah. Because you've seen that look on people's faces. They're like, what do you need? How can I help? And if you, if you shut them down, they're like, okay, they feel worse, you know? So we, we got to make that a good uh, cyclical opportunity for people. 
Holler when you need the help, give it willingly, accept it with, with joy in your heart and everybody feels better. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But we won't do it. It's like, it's ingrained in us not, not to do that, but we can change that among other things. <laughs> mm. So Vanessa shared with me that your dad is an artist. Oh, yes. Um, I, I like to say that my family is full of it. Um, we are indeed full of it. Um, my, my brother is also a professional actor, talented as all get out. Um, he gives me a cameo in my show, actually, which is, uh, he, he needs his own one-person show sometime soon here. I'll get writing that very soon. Um, but my dad has been a professional actor his entire life. Um, since the day I was born, that was how he provided for our family, was just acting, which gave me a really bad sense of how easily this was going to go. <laughs> um, but he is, he is an incredible regional actor, live stage actor, uh, but he has done TV and movies and voiceovers. And uh, back in the day, industrials were a thing. So instead of um, live coaching or things along those lines, uh, you'd have a professional actor telling you just how to use this product at work. Um, talking you through training and he was great at that put two kids through college doing that wow. um but he's he is 83 um 82 83 and the only thing that is keeping him from the stage is this stupid pandemic he cannot wait to get back on the stage and he is an absolute inspiration um my mom is a she was a music major she taught music for a gazillion years at a catholic school you know k through eight or i don't know every age kid in the possible she was teaching it was um She's the, we call her Saint Janie um, because she has been an absolute, she's the glue that keeps our family together. And if my brother or my father or myself need to get a song ready to go for an audition, she sits down at the piano and plays it and makes sure we're ready. And she wow. makes sure that we're, you know, our flies are zipped and we've eaten something and, you know, all those good things that if your head is in the clouds, you know, as artists um, sometimes tend to be, uh, she's the one who brings us back down and makes sure that we're not going to uh, mess it up in some really easy way. She's she's amazing. But yeah, we've we've all been doing this together for uh, for years. Uh, You're gonna pass it on to your son. Um, he has a great appreciation for what we all do. Um, I don't think that he's headed in the artistic career direction. But he was very lucky to go to uh, the Cincinnati School for Creative and Performing Arts. Um, so he got his early education. Um, he was K through six, getting that art as part of the curriculum. And I will forever be thankful for that because it will inform the rest of his life. Uh, but I think he's much more technology-based. Um, and I'm like, rock out, man, because somebody's got to help us retire. Otherwise, this <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to be a YouTuber. I was like, go for it, babe. That's, that sounds sweet. I will show you a couple of mansions mommy's interested in. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah. What is your superpower? <laughs> uh, right now, it seems to be honesty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, genuinely, it's it is it has one more time we'll back it up <laughs> realizing that i can push past that fear of being judged even by myself push past that and say my piece and say what i'm feeling and say what i believe and um it has been pleasantly surprising to realize that when i push past that fear it is almost always met with um appreciation and has inspired others to push past that fear as well. So yeah, honesty right now is my superpower. And I'm sure my husband's going to hear this and he's going to be like, oh dear God, you mean we're going to be more honest? <laughs> um, there are some things I can, I can ease up with uh, honesty wise, but uh, no, I think that's where it is right now is, yep. Being who I be and being honest about it. Yeah. That's a great superpower. <laughs> it is. I want to. Um, what? And I want to clarify again. That does not mean I think I am perfect. I am not. Um, and I again, that is why I I think that on a personal level, but also um, this country needs to learn that lesson too. You can admit you're not perfect and be really powerful and still be moving in the right direction. Um, that is not a shortcoming to admit, I'm not done growing, I'm not done learning. Mm -hmm. I've got some work I need to do. Um, and I, I really want this country to, to join me on that, uh, that level of honesty. Yes. Shamar Kwachi said, um, we're, we're, not, we're not inviting the nuance that two truths can exist at the same time. And mm. until we can accept that two things can be true at once, we're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> I still yeah. think about her saying that. Um, yeah. Here, here. I agree. So what's the greatest piece of advice you've ever been given or something that's resonating with you right now? If you can't remember all 53 years of advice or 50. Right. Advice, <laughs> um, um, I'm, I'm 48. I'll be 49 in August. You're and not even you said you're in your fifties. No, almost fifties. Oh, almost okay, 50. okay, okay. Close. Um, but proudly almost fifty. So I I don't bat an eye at um anywhere in there. I'm ready. Let's do this. <laughs> um one of my favorite things my dad ever told me, and he was told by someone else who he greatly respected in in the theater, was when opportunity knocks, don't answer the door naked. <laughs> which means do your work, you know, yeah. do your work, be ready. Um, and you don't know who's knocking, you don't know what's gonna go on, but you better have been doing your work up to this point so that you don't go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not dressed yet. No, be ready, you know, answer that door, grab your purse and off with you. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's something that resonates with me more and more because we really don't know what comes next in this world from day to day, clearly with everything that has gone on. And, you know, if, 
if somebody says, let's do a virtual show in your church, um, you've, you've got to be ready to go. Yeah, let's do a virtual show in my church. Yeah, that's not what I was counting on, but yes, let's do this. You know, you've, you've got you've to answer that door and go for it. Mm. Not naked. Yes. <laughs> Unless you look really good naked. No. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to Again, get pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Right. Oh, right. Cause you said you were going to set up a yeah. licking station in your church. Didn't you like once the pandemic was over? Um, yes. There will be hugging and licking and you don't have to do both. You can feel, <laughs> you know, which, whichever one you feel more comfortable with, but once we're all vaccinated, uh, as far as I know, I'm going to open my church as a church. And at the end of every sermon, you know, you can get in the hugging line or the licking line. It's whatever you feel comfortable with. So. Choose your own adventure. Okay. Um, Indeed. <laughs> since we really <clears throat> brought you here, um, to make sure people knew about this new one woman show of yours uh, that is going to be available very soon, June 4th. Um, I want to move us into the campfire, which most of our listeners know is our moment for our guests to share inspiration or something they're working on. Um, it represents to us uh, storytelling in an intimate setting that is unique to the people who are present and listening. And in our activism work, we refer to this as the closed container or circling. That's where a lot of our creating happens. So what are you sharing today? Well, um, I wanted to share um, something that I've come across recently, and this has everything to do with my show and everything to do with the art that I create um, on a personal basis. I just came across uh, the fact that scientists, medical doctors, uh, people with bigger degrees than me um, agree that empathy is hard work. <laughs> and I don't know why that it made me exhale. You know, I thought, oh my God, finally we're all admitting that being empathetic is not easy. You don't just flip on a switch and go, well, I'm just going to be empathetic now. Um, some people find it a little easier than others, but it is a genuine choice that we have to make as people and as artists. And it is not just emotionally hard work, but it genuinely taxes your brain to make that choice to be empathetic as opposed to not being empathetic. And that really just, I felt like that was great validation for a lot of the messages that I feel are most important in this world artistically and personally. We are not looking at the rest of the world going, come on, get with it. This is so easy. Just feel more, connect. This is hard work. And I think what's really important is that you've got to recognize once you learn that, that it means you'll need to rest. And that is from an artistic and an activism standpoint. Um, if you are going to make these connections and if you are going to put yourself in other people's shoes, so to speak, um, you have to find that ability to, to give yourself of some self-care and to step back when that work gets too heavy, when you need a break from this very hard work of, of allowing empathy to be how you move through this world. Um, and I, I really 
why that stands out to me now is it explains to me why I was taking it so personally during this new job I found myself in um, where I was not getting that empathy back. Um, I kept trying to put it out there. I kept trying to be empathetic in my new surrounding and it is work. And if you don't get it back, that can be absolutely soul crushing, not to mention exhausting. Um, and so I, hearing that, I was like, no wonder, <laughs> no wonder I, I was truly exhausted by this job and, and it really hurt my heart at a certain level. Uh, it makes a lot more sense now that I have been given that validation that empathy is hard work. It really is. It's still the right choice and it still makes for the best art. It still makes for the best collaboration outside of the arts. And it certainly makes for the best opportunity to change things for the better moving forward um, individually, again, as a civilization, all those good things, yeah. Mm. Um, so um, is now where I get to sing and give you little <laughs> teasers for my show? <laughs> yes, now uh, we have a multiple campfire sharing now that we've got such a good lesson. And yeah, we would love to hear some from your show. Yeah, um, I, uh, I'll preface this again with the fact that there was a time in my life where I was like, oh, you'll never sing again. Please don't ever sing again. There are so many other people who do this better than you. Um, and a shout out to my beautiful son because it was having a baby in my world that changed that for me. Um, and he was when I started writing my own songs. Um, and that's my bonus track um, that, I, that I will sing for you, but I will sing you just a little bit from um, the big like anthem of my show, The Prime of Miss Jen Joplin. Okay, let me make sure I've got the lyrics in my head. Um, <clears throat> now I'm singing my, beat, my bonus track in my head. Um, Forgetting my own song. We can edit this, so take your time. We can just cut this out mm -hmm. in post. <laughs> okay, great. Here we go. Um, <clears throat> we all have something only we can deliver, something only we can give. It'll get there much faster if we do it together. With love, we need free shipping to live. When it comes to love, we need free shipping to live. Yes. And when you see the show poster, that will make that song so much funnier. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. People will be like, why are you just laughing at that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, um, so my bonus track is from when my, my son was um, very little and driving him in the car, I didn't want an absolute slew of curse words to come out of my mouth when another driver had done something horrible. And so instead I made up songs that would calm me down, but I could still make my point. <laughs> And he didn't learn, you know, the F-bomb any earlier than he did already. And so I would sing, 
It's called manners, common everyday civility, like thank you and you're welcome. Saying please if you want something and sorry if you F it up. <laughs> and I, I would sing that anytime somebody made me want to blow my top because I wanted to stay cool for my son. <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. <laughs> you can turn anything in your world into a song. And I promise it will make you feel better. Great <laughs> <laughs> Avenue Q. Oh, man. yes, yes. <laughs> well, Jen, I am going to wrap us up with a little yeah. um, rapid response. Interview Yay. questions. Are it, okay. it feel like you're in the room with James Lipton? I hope you're ready. Uh, yeah, right, okay. right. Okay. What is your guilty pleasure? Oh, gardenscapes. It's on my phone. I get to match things. It's so tangibly satisfying compared to everything else in the world. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? Um, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's just. It has, it has such a nice perfect. To it. It's perfect. <laughs> If you could try another profession, what would it be? Something with just nature. I would love to say something along the lines of archaeology that combines humanity and nature. Mm. You know, like you get to go and like dig it up and be like, oh, whoa, what is this? This is amazing. Yes. Something along those lines. Your attitude to the world in one word. Hope. <laughs> um, God or no God? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I love that. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. Yes. What would you once said about you after you are gone? That I brought a smile to people's daily lives, truly. That I made people smile. That would make me very happy. Lovely. All right, this is the last one. It's, this, it's so important, this last one. Choose one, rom-com, documentary, action, or thriller. Action. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, see, you didn't offer Pixar. I would have gone Pixar every oh, time. Yeah, we should have <laughs> Pixar, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Well, Jen, thank you so much for having this inspiring conversation with us it's mm. it's been fantastic and i cannot wait it's june 4th right june 4th mm -hmm. yes cincy fringe yes june 4th and cincy fringe go check it out there is a huge lineup live online everything please there's a gazillion really inspiring things going on and the title of the show is the prime of miss jen joplin 
the Cincinnati Fringe Festival, June 4th, on demand in the sanctuary. And do you have like an Instagram tag or anything that you want to give us where people can follow you? No. No, I need to do all of that. You're going to inspire me to finally do that. No, seriously, just go check out Fringe and, um, and see what is available there. And right back at you, ladies, thank you so much. This is, this is inspiring what you guys are doing. And it gives me great joy um, that, that you want my voice to be a part of the change that you guys are making. Thank you. Oh, you're phenomenal. This is so exciting. I can't wait to see your show. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you listeners and our guest for sharing the space with us. If you don't want to miss our next episode and you'd like to follow our work, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Voices Amped. Voices Amped is part of our arts activism initiative, Voices Amplified. Our team is me, Jenny Benavides, Vanessa Becker-Weig, Ellie Clark, Dr. Margaret McGladry, and our intern and editor, Kennedy Johnson. If you have any questions that you'd like to hear from future guests, or if you ever have questions for us, hit us up on social media or email us on our website, voicesamplified.net. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, you can watch all of our interviews on YouTube if you search and subscribe to Voices Amplified. We'd like to thank Lauren Rourke for our podcast art, Tiffany DuPont Novak for our logo design, and Vanessa Davis for her beautiful underscore, I'm doing okay. You can follow her music at Songwriter Vanessa. We'll see you next time, everyone.